That was wonderful. Amen. Very beautiful. Thank you. If you have your Bibles with you, and Robin, you can pull up the outline from this morning. Thank you so much. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. As we step into our study tonight, sort of beginning with, are there things maybe from this morning that you had questions about or observations that you made as we were going through it this morning, something that you wanted to comment on, or maybe something that you uh, got stumped by and you're thinking, you know, I need to ask about that. So uh, let's just open it up for an opportunity for you to ask or to share. Now, don't be afraid to prime the pump. All right, Jan? Hmm. I think it's important for us to understand that the faith that saves us is just as important as the faith that saved them and may be just as exemplary in our generation and in our situation as theirs was to their generation to their situation. And so his goal is not to sort of platform these people, idolize these people, pedestalize these people. His goal is to say, real faith looks just like this. Saving faith looks just like this. So mimic this, because this is what it looks like. Yes, sir. Mm Mm-hmm, exactly. Those were the pictures of salvation in the Old Testament. That's exactly right. Say again? Yes, it's talking about how they were justified by faith in the exact manner that we are. Exactly. Good. Other questions or observations from this morning? Go ahead if you want to ask. It's all right. It's a safe zone for questions. All right, let's step into Hebrews 11 to look at some significant things. There are things that we learn from Hebrews 11 that sometimes they, they kind of wow us. And we go, yeah, that's, that's, that's Abraham. Wow. Wow. Father of the nations, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all that story. Sarah, and that's just like, wow. And so when we look at it, sometimes because I think we've come to it with maybe a wrong angle, we've also failed, I have failed, to see the most significant thing in the whole passage. And I'm going to be preaching on this in a couple of weeks in a a little more detail than tonight. 
But I need to give you the chief goal or the chief end to which he is pointing us in our faith. Okay, you've got, you've got faith and, and, and you've got this activity. And let's, let's kind of walk through that the, this morning. Robin, go to the, let's see, click to, there, there you go. Those four things. Yeah. And then one more. Yeah, perfect. Right, we talked about the actions of faith. Biblical faith is composed of at least these three things, and we talked about them this morning. First, the reason for faith, there's the word of God spoken to us and an internal response. Faith believes certain things. That is, internally, I hear the word of God through my eyes, my ears, or by meditating what I've already heard in my thoughts. And internally, I say, yeah, that's right. Then externally, I go to letter B, the response of faith. Faith acts based on what is believed. And then the reward, faith receives what was promised. When we talk about faith receiving what was promised, sometimes we get really messed up in tunnel vision. And we start looking at specific things like Isaac. Okay, that's awesome. Abraham and this promise and Sarah and this promise, and him being, don't you love the phrase, as good as dead? Wouldn't that that just be the thing you want to have listed by your name in the Bible? Okay, you're getting written up, God's going to give a testimony about you, and so he says, let me tell you about Bart, he was as good as dead. That's just not the thing you think, but that's how the Bible describes Abraham. So you have this miraculous, wonderful intervention where God steps in. Abraham and Sarah are faithful to do what it takes to conceive, and God is faithful to bring about this conception as a man good as dead and a woman past childbearing years, all hope seeming to be lost. So we tend to go, yeah, that's the kind of reward thing that we're after, and we've missed something if that's happening. Because the chief reward of faith, is mentioned in verse 2 and then is spoken of several times after that. So let's back up. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old, all these people we're going to talk about, gained approval or some translations obtained a testimony. Now, it's very important how, from this point on through 11 and into 12, how a particular word is used. The word is the word from which we get the term a martyr. That's a word that we use. Typically, when we say a martyr, we're talking about somebody who dies for their faith. But the word martyr means to testify or to witness. It's a person who testifies or who witnesses. So we hear the word martyr, we think of someone who testified or witnessed at the point of death, still holding to this witness, this testimony, and then losing their life for it. But the word doesn't always mean to lose your life, but it does always mean to have or give a testimony, to be testified about or to be a testifier. 
When we get into verse 2, something is stated that works its way all the way through to chapter 12. If you remember, chapter 12 begins by saying, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now that is the same word. In chapter 11, each time that it is used, it is used in the form of a verb. In chapter 12, it's used in the form of a noun. In chapter 11, there's only one person who does the witnessing. This is significant. Let's read it. Let me point to the times that the verb is used. And then let's read it all. It's in verse 2. It's in verse 4. By faith Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony, God testifying. Verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness. If you'll jump all the way over to verse 39. A summary statement, chapter 11, verse 39. All of these having gained approval or obtained a testimony. Now, this is very important. Every time the verb is used in chapter 11, with one exception, and I'll point that to you, it's in what's called the passive tense. The passive voice, I mean. The passive voice. That means somebody's doing something to somebody else. All right? An active verb, I am running. Okay? That's an active verb. All right? But a passive verb is, I am getting my back scratched. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, a passive verb means that somebody else is doing the action towards me. In verse 2, in verse 4, in verse 5, and in verse 39, it's a passive voice. That means that somebody else is doing the action towards somebody. And in every one of those, there is one who's giving a testimony. To clarify all those usages, verse 5 uses one active voice where it's clear who's doing the action. Let's pick it up in verse 4. I said 5, 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained the testimony. This is a passive verb. It means that somebody was testifying about him. And in order to clear it up for all of the uses, the five uses in chapter 11 and what it means in chapter 12, he says it in verse 4. God testified. This is very important. The primary reward chief reward, the, the 
the giant reward, the real reward of faith is God's testimony of acceptance and approval. That's the point of the beginning of the chapter. Is that what they obtained through their faith was that God said, you're righteous. He was saying, he was stating their righteousness. God was pronouncing them righteous. Let's read it. Now, having said all that, let's start back in verse 1. And what does he say? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old received a testimony or gained approval. Passive verb. Somebody's doing it. It's not them. They're not testifying. This is not the men of old giving a testimony. This is God giving a testimony about the men of old. See, when you stand before God, it will not matter what you or people say on that day. It's going to matter what God says. And we're going to hope that what is said is what comes up next. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. Who testified that Abel was righteous? Abel? No, God. That's what Paul spent so much time developing in the book of Romans. That we are declared righteous by faith alone. And that the one who declares us righteous is not us. And it's not others. The one who declares us righteous is God. And apart from that declaration, it doesn't matter what else is said about us. Because nothing else will matter. So, what does he say? Verse 4, let's read it again. By faith, Abel offered up to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. Who did it? God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Who speaks? God speaks on Abel's behalf. Because God wrote him into the scriptures so that you and I would read it. And though Abel's dead, he still speaks. God commending his faith. Verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness This, again, is the same verb in a passive form, which means that somebody else is testifying about him before being taken up that he was pleasing to God. How did he please God? Through his faith. His faith had all three components. Component one Word of God comes in and an internal response that says, yes, indeed, I believe that. An external response that lives out what is believed. 
And then with that, the reward, the anticipation that God is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. So here he obtains the testimony that before he was taken up, before his being taken up, that he was pleasing to God. So what is, when we look at letter C, let's look at that together. What is the reward of faith? The very first and primary and most important and, in a sense, comparatively only important reward is the approval of God pronouncing us righteous by faith and therefore acceptable to Him. That's the key point. That's what's most important is that God pronounces that over us because of our faith in Jesus Christ. So now let's go a little further in the chapter because after he lists all the people and all the situations and all of the events, after he lists all of the 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 specific things that the different people did, some of them being rewarded immediately, some of them not, and, and waiting eternally. Verse 39 says, This, all these people, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, then that great list that comes after that, with all of those people that, that are just thrown in there, shall I say more, of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. He begins listing all of those, and he says, all these had this one important, Verse 39, all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive the fullness of the promise. So what sustained them without receiving the fullness of the promise was their knowledge of this one thing that God approved them because of their faith and God pronounced them righteous because of their faith and God received them to himself because of their faith and that sustained them the knowledge of their salvation was the satisfying, sustaining element in the difficulties of their lives. That's the key to being satisfied and to being sustained. It is that I, that we, as a church, as believers at the individual and corporate level, Rest in the satisfaction of knowing that we're saved. That's what Paul was doing in Romans 8 when he comes to the end. Come with me there. That's what he's doing. 
Paul is suffering greatly. He knows others are suffering greatly. And so he steps in in Romans 8.31 and begins to flesh out the thoughts that the writer to the Hebrews is trying to get across in chapter 11. That there is one thing that can sustain, there is one thing that can satisfy, and that is the knowledge of our salvation. Verse 31 of Romans 8. Go there and just listen to this glorious doxology of truth giving praise to God. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? That's the reward coming, right? If he's giving you Jesus, giving you heaven is nothing. (laughs) Streets of gold, schmeats of gold. That's nothing compared to Jesus. So, verse 33 Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. So it's obviously not him, right? Who is the one who justifies? Excuse me, God's the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us. You want to know a great Trinitarian statement from our study this morning? We didn't get to study it, but a great Trinitarian statement. We've got the Spirit in verse 26 helping our weakness. We've got God the Father justifying us in verse 30, uh, 33. And we've got Jesus who died and raised and is interceding for us at the right hand. You've got the whole Trinity working for you today. <laughs> That's awesome. That is really, really good. At this moment, that's what's happening. He goes on and says, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, famine, persecution, nakedness, peril, sword, for just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are being considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in All these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What satisfies and sustains us in the middle of our faith when we are enduring and it is not yet being rewarded, it is the primary, the chief, the great reward of knowing God has forgiven you and nothing can separate you from Him. Nothing. 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 And so the writer to the Hebrews is doing the same kind of teaching And so now he pulls into chapter 12, and we're just going to close with just a statement about how he opens chapter 12. Chapter 12 now, a lot of times I think, and and I'm not fully settled on how to say this, but I think that I'm fairly settled on it. In chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, well, I, I, I think... A lot of times we've tried to make this onlookers, and, and I'm not sure if that's the point because the way the word has been used in chapter 11. In chapter 11, it's, it's God 
testifying about someone. And so I think the great cloud around us are the ones that God has testified about and said, you're approved, 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 you're approved. All of you are accepted. You're all righteous. And no matter what has happened to you, you are safe and secure with me. And I think the writer is saying, don't you want to be one of those? Don't you want God to look at you and say, you're approved. Don't you want to stand one day in front of the holy God who reigns to whom everyone gives account and to have him give a testimony? Testimony time in heaven. Who's first? God is. He gives the testimonies in heaven. And he says to you, you're approved. I think that's the point of chapter 12. When we sing when the saints go marching in, and that really has gotten messed up by, with the New Orleans Saints thing. Okay? You agree with me on that? It's really gotten messed up. Because, like, when you now play when the saints are going marching in, when they're going in the stadium. That's just really... I, I, and I'm a Saints fan, kind of. I came from Atlanta, so it's a little tough. Okay? But, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, how I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. That's what 12-1's about. Is that your deepest desire is to rest in God's testimony about you. So how did they obtain that testimony? How did they receive that testimony? It's very simple. Number one, excuse me, letter A. God says Jesus is the only way. In your heart, you say Jesus is the only way. With your life, you follow Him as the only way. And as your reward, you have assurance that you are headed for eternal life with God. That's what Hebrews 11 wants you to take home. Would you bow with me? I want you to have assurance. I don't like people who intentionally toy with our assurance, trying to get some kind of emotional response trump up the numbers in an evangelistic crusade or pump up the numbers in the baptistry. I don't like that. I've grown a holy hatred of that. I don't like the manipulation of the emotions. But I will tell you this. There will be no more important thing for all of eternity than whether or not God testifies about you. There is nothing. There is nothing more important. And that's why it's the lead-in in chapter 11 and it's the lead-in in chapter 12. And that is God giving a testimony 
that your faith has saved you. And that you, with joy, are satisfied with that, even if you get nothing else in life. I am satisfied with Jesus to be able to say that. And that you, because of that great and wonderful, precious salvation, are sustained through some of the harshest difficulties of life. And some of you have been there. Some of you are there. And I'm sorry to tell you, but some of us are headed there. This sustaining grace is the knowledge that God has approved us because of something so simple as our faith Jesus Christ. And so this evening, that's what I want you to be able to do, is to give thanks for your salvation. To allow it to be what satisfies you, no matter what comes in life, and to be what sustains you in the hardships and difficulties and disappointments of life. But right now, you could say this simple statement, I am satisfied Jesus. I'm satisfied with Jesus. Can we say that? Perhaps you can't. And there's never been a time in your life where you personally, by faith, trusted Christ as your Savior. This would be a great time for that. Settle that and to quit worrying over it and to have joy and rejoice in it. During our time of invitation, I want you to do two things. Be certain and be happy. I want you to be satisfied. I want you to be secure. And I want you to be sustained by the certainty that you know what Jesus has done for you. You've trusted. God stirs your heart as He leads you, would you simply hear His voice, obey, and do His will? Would you stand and respond as He speaks to us? Oh.